Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Hope you had a great time celebrating with family, friends, or alone, if that was preferable to you. Whatever, whatever you did that was uh, pleasing, I hope uh, that it was fulfilling and exciting. Excited hit 21 and then 22, and then we'll be done, and uh, we'll be into Christmas. So we've got a couple Christmas messages, and then in the new year, we're going to take a look at what it means to be disciples uh, or followers of Christ, and so that's what we'll be doing in the new year. Then eventually, in 2024, we're going to get into Romans, and so if you want to know where we're headed, what's going to be the next book we get into, it will be the book of Romans. Uh, while you're getting to Revelation 19, let me just update you. We were able to deliver through the Thanksgiving blessing bags 50 Thanksgiving meals. That's full meals. So that was incredible. Thank you to everybody that helped uh, meet those needs in the community. And then uh, our shoe boxes have been sent off and... Last year, we were, I don't know if anybody in here knows the exact number, but I believe we were below 150 last year. 128, thank you. This year, we did 333 of those shoeboxes. So, great job, super proud of our church for stepping up. Um, super thankful we had that chance to honor Amy this year and, and, and just do that in her memory. And so, glad to hear those boxes are on their way around the world. They're gonna to touch many lives, so, so great job. All right, let's look at Revelation 19 together. We're gonna to look at verse 11. We're gonna read through 21. Then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he called out in a loud voice saying to all the birds flying overhead, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and of their riders and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner and along with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come now <clears throat> to this awe-inspiring image of a king whose enemies melt like wax before him, of one who, who 
who comes to bring just judgment. The one against whom no army can stand. May we live in reverence and awe of who you are. May we, while we can, commit ourselves to living every moment for the King of Kings. The one in whom, when human history comes to an end, will reign supreme forever and ever. Give us conviction today as we look to your word. Give us compassion. Give us, God, a fire to go and to do your work while we still may. That on that day, the maximum number of people might be found worshiping King Jesus and enter into his eternal glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why doesn't God destroy evil? Why do we live in this world where evil still runs free, wreaking havoc on God's creation? Surely you've noticed. Surely you have experienced the frustration of seeing what this world could be if it were not for the presence of such evil. And yet all of our hopes and dreams for life and for a perfect creation are constantly dashed against the rocks of the wickedness of man. We do not live in an innocent world. We do not live in a place where motives are pure, where people only do good. Instead, we live in a world that is exhausted by evil. We live in a world that is constantly at war. We live in a fallen creation. And yet, we read the account in the book of Genesis that when God created, he looked and it was good. Again and again, we hear that phrase, God created and it was good. God created and it was good. And it only takes the third chapter of Genesis before we get to the reason for why things are no longer good. It's what we call the fall of man. Man has entered into rebellion against his creator. Having been provoked by none other than Satan himself, man has joined, has joined in this angelic rebellion against the kingdom of God. And because of that, the world suffers. Why didn't God just snuff out evil right then and there? The answer to that question, why doesn't God destroy all evil, is found here in Revelation chapter 19, and the answer is, he will. He will. He will end evil. At the return of Jesus Christ, the reign of evil on this earth 
and for that matter, anywhere in God's creation will come to a devastating end. At the return of Jesus, all evil rebellion against his rule will be finished. That is why we celebrate the idea, the the reality that Jesus is coming back. That is why Christians look forward with anticipation to the second coming of Jesus because Jesus is coming back to, I want to give us three things he's coming back to do. If you have the handout in front of you, as we look at this passage together, we come to the conclusion that Jesus is coming back to rid the world of evil and rule the nations as the king of kings. You might say, well, that's two things. Yeah, I know, I just squeezed them into one. It's like that, um, what is that commercial where you bundle the insurances? They're like, that's four words. No, not if you bundle them. It's like that, we're gonna bundle. Okay, the first thing, and it's just one, that Jesus is coming back to do is rid the world of evil and rule the nations as the king of kings. For all who have grown weary of the evil that we are subjected to in this world, both inwardly and outwardly, this is good news. Jesus is going to come and he's going to rid this world of evil once and for all. Look at verse 11 with me again. There's so much in these next couple of verses. We won't be able to to look at all of it, but let's Let's sit on a few details. Verse 11, then I saw heaven open. By the way, in in Revelation, things are progressively being opened. John, as he receives Revelation, the the doorway into the the, um, temple is opened and this vision into heaven is opened. And now heaven itself is being opened. This is a big deal. There is a veil between the world that we live in, in the realm of heaven. And now John sees heaven itself opened and there is a white horse. Its rider goes by several names in this passage. First, we see its rider is called faithful and true. Faithful. Jesus made many promises during his earthly ministry several of which significant ones have thus far gone unfulfilled and we need to be reminded he is faithful and true. He said he will do it and he is going to do it. What is he going to do? It says here, and with justice, he judges and makes war. We've become so accustomed to judgment happening without justice. We've become, we live in this world which, you know, our, our own system of government and judgment and trial and conviction and punishment is better than most here in America. But that's not saying much because our world is full of injustice. People get away with wrongdoing all of the time. And others suffer unjustly. Some are punished for things they have not done. This is 
These, these are examples of the injustice that we live in, but when Jesus comes, he will judge only with justice. Nobody will get what they don't deserve. With justice, he judges and he makes war. War is a terrible reality. It is a terrible reality in our world because it means lives cut short. It means destruction of property. It means economic destruction. And yet in this one instance, war will be a good thing because the end of this war will be a much better place. The end of this war will bring about a, a just world in which we have yet to taste and it all centers around this rider on the white horse who is called faithful and true. The description that follows here, starting in verse 12, says, his eyes were like a fiery flame. And many crowns were on his head. You see crowns all throughout the book of Revelation. They, they, they represent the authority to rule. And there, there are places where the beast and the dragon, the, these who represent Satan and those who work on his behalf are given crowns. They're given authority to rule. And so they carry out through the authority given to them this evil upon the earth. And now we see one who has many crowns. He has all authority. He is the one who has come to take his place as the ruler over his creation. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He's given the name faithful and true. He's given a secret name which no one knows except himself. He wears a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. And a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. This sword, this sword proceeding from his mouth is, we're going to see later on in this passage, the only weapon necessary to defeat the armies of the earth. In a world full of nuclear, hypersonic weapons, lasers that bring devastation, I mean, in a world of all of the powerful weapons created by mankind, there is one, but one weapon needed in this final battle, and that is the sword proceeding from the mouth of none other than Jesus. so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. An iron rod means absolute control. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. This has been spoken about in Revelation as bowls of wrath to be poured out upon the earth. Jesus is going to trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. 
Jesus, the faithful and true. Jesus, the word of God. Jesus, the king of kings. Lord of lords, who has been given many crowns and an iron rod with which to exercise his just control over his creation. The one who has been sent to, to pour out the fierce anger of God, his wrath against sin. He is coming to end all evil and to rule the nations. We place our hope in political figures and in the expectation that they can somehow deliver for us a better existence, a better life. We go and, and we vote and we, we hope that the people that we vote for are going to make things better. Whatever better is in our minds, lower gas prices, more religious freedom. There's, there's a host of things that, that we have in mind when we go and we vote for political leaders. And, and yet the best that we can hope for is that fail, flawed and, and cor- to some degree corrupt men and women will make life this much better. Imagine a world whenever, where every obstacle to joy, every obstacle to freedom, every obstacle to whatever it is that our hearts hope for in life has been removed. Kids live life without fear of calamity. People can relate to one another without even the possibility of doing one another harm. Disease has been vanquished. These bodies that are so frail, so susceptible to death and disease are recreated into bodies that will live forever in the presence of the great God who created us for that very reason. That's what Jesus is coming to bring. He's coming to bring the fullness of the kingdom of God. He's going to bring the fullness in the kingdom, of the kingdom of God in a way such that evil will be completely done away with. Satan, who has influenced and provoked mankind to rebel against God, will be put in his proper place. And Jesus will rule the nations as the king of kings. Is this good news? It is. This is great news that Jesus has a plan to, I know it's hard to envision. I know it's difficult to get our heads around what Jesus has in mind for his creation, but let's, let's press in. Let's, let's, let's dig into the word of God and try to imagine for a moment the goodness of that kingdom which is coming upon this earth. Not only will Jesus come to rid the world of evil and rule the nations as the king of kings, but the second thing you'll see on the handout, he's coming to end the rebellion led by Satan against the kingdom of God. He 
You may remember from last week, from Greg's excellent sermon, that there is a supper in Revelation 19. There is a supper which you, you want to attend. <laughs> it's, it's a good supper. It's a good place to be. Well, there is also a second supper. Second supper in Revelation 19, the one you don't want to be at, the one you hope not to be around for. We read about it here in verses 17 and 18. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. He got, I, don't know, I don't know what John saw, but he could only describe it as an angel standing in the sun. That's amazing to, to consider. But he, he says, he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying overhead, come gather together for the great supper of God. What is this? Is this the supper of the earlier part of Revelation 19? No, verse 18 shows us, so that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and of their riders and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. This one, what an appropriate what an appropriate text for Thanksgiving weekend. It's the revenge of the turkeys. <laughs> for hundreds of years, we've been, we've been eating their flesh. And one day, this is the hope of all turkeys everywhere. One day, the tables will be turned. This angel standing in the sun is now speaking to the birds. And what is he saying? Come gather together for this great supper so that you may eat the flesh of kings. You don't want to be around for this supper. Normally in a great battle, when men fall on the battlefield, their comrades go and they retrieve their bodies and they give them an honorable and proper burial. But if there is no one left to carry out such things, then, then their bodies just lay on the battlefield and are consumed by the creatures of the earth. This victory that the, that the sinless Son of God is coming to exact upon mankind is so decisive, there is no one left to bury the bodies. And the birds of the air will come and they will eat their fill. You know, carnivorous creatures like birds, you've ever seen a lion after it's eaten a full meal? It's a lot like us on Thursday. It's bellies like this. <laughs> they just, they'll, they'll eat. They'll eat until they can no longer move and they just have to lie down for like three days and digest that food. That's exactly what I just did for the last three days. <laughs> Birds are going to come and they are going to rid the earth of the enemies of God once and for all. Jesus is coming to end this rebellion who, which is led by Satan. Remember who, 
who is, is provoking all of this. Remember who the true enemy is. It's not the people. People are not our enemy. The one behind them who has convinced them to behave in a way of rebellion against God and his kingdom and ultimately against his, his people. The people pictured in here are nothing but proxies of Satan. They are acting upon his will under his influence. And so it's not enough for the king to return and to come and to deal with the proxies. At some point, you have to cut off the head of the snake. And he'll do that. He'll do that. As we look at the third thing that Jesus comes to do, Jesus is coming to cast into the lake of fire his enemies so that they can no longer afflict his people. We're not going to get Satan completely finished in this text. But we're going to get close. Jesus is coming to cast into the lake of fire his enemies so that, you can no, so that they can no longer afflict his people. Verse 19, then I saw the beast. You remember the beast from earlier chapters. This, this is one who is influenced by Satan to carry out his will upon the earth. He has deceived many people on the earth. He, is, uh, he has brought them into rebellion against God and his kingdom. So we have the beast we have the kings of the earth, their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner. Here's what you need to know about this battle. It's not a battle. It's a slaughter. The, the, the pow, all of the power of the armies of the earth has come together in one place to wage war against this rider on the white horse and they don't even get to fire a shot. Before the, the battle even begins, their leader, the beast, is taken prisoner. Along with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence, he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Doesn't that sound awful? And what happens after these leaders of this vast army of rebellion, what happens after these leaders are, are thrown into the lake of fire? We're simply told the rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. Some more. It was over before it began. The power of this rider on the white horse so much greater than the combined power of all of the armies of the earth. That's the image you're supposed to get. Whether this is a literal battle or not. And there's reasons, I think, to, to consider both ways. Regardless, the point is, 
these enemies of the kingdom of God have no power. The rider comes and he simply mows them all down with the sword proceeding from his mouth. Which begs the question, what about all the, what about all the, it says the armies of heaven and presumably those, uh, the, those of us who are in Christ will be part of that. I don't think, it's possible these are just angelic armies. It, there's reason to think this, that we participate in this. We get all dressed up. We got these white robes on and we're on horses and everything and we show up and all the work's already done. <laughs> it's like, well, why didn't we get to participate? Jesus has just eliminated every opposing force. And then sometime later, well, hold on, let me, let's consider this, this beast and the false prophet who have afflicted God's people, who have brought such anguish and suffering upon the earth, finally get what they deserve. Don't you hate it when, I'm gonna use non-scriptural language here, don't you hate it when the bad guys get away with being bad and they don't get punished? Scripturally speaking, we're all the bad guys, so I'm not contending with that. But don't you hate it when, when people do just outwardly and obviously wicked things and get away with it? When they hurt people and there's, there's no reconciliation, there's, the, 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 there's no punishment. There's, there's no justice. This will be a day of justice. It'll be a day of all who thought they got away with rebellion against God's kingdom. These kings of the earth, I mean, they, they pro- probably were pretty confident they were gonna win this battle. And they didn't even get to fight. So this beast and the false prophet are thrown into this lake of fire. Let's, let's, let's talk about the lake of fire. It's described here as a lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Because we're not, gonna, because we're not going to preach Revelation chapter 20, I can steal from there. I want to look ahead to Revelation 20. Let's look at verses 10 through 15 just briefly together. In 10 through 15, we're gonna hear more about this lake of fire. It says, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, okay? So in our text in Revelation 19, the devil doesn't yet get thrown into the lake of fire. Instead, he gets bound for a thousand years. This gets into the the millennial reign of Christ and what does all of that mean? Uh, But I just wanna focus on this. Now in Revelation chapter 20, the devil is also thrown into this lake of fire, It's called the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So, so far we have the beast 
and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire in Revelation 19. We have Satan himself thrown into the lake of fire in this passage. Now we get death and Hades themselves thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible is very clear. The worst thing that can happen to a human being is not death. It is what is called the second death. This is a reality that is described in such horrific ways that many try to avoid even thinking about it. Others try to explain it away as though it's not a reality. Some want to erase the idea of hell. However, Scripture is explicit in its descriptions of what hell is like. And nobody speaks more vividly about the horrors of hell than Jesus. In Matthew chapter 25, he refers to it as the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Elsewhere, it is described as eternal punishment, outer darkness, a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a horrible horrible idea. And so what are we to do with that? How how can thinking human beings accept the idea that people we know and love, people that we interact with, people that on our scale of goodness may or may not seem to be all that different from us, would one day be cast into a place of eternal punishment. Well, there are a number of things, and and I think it's important that we begin by admitting there are things that are difficult to comprehend, things that are difficult to understand. If your, if, let's say, let me say it this way, if your religion does not include things that are beyond human comprehension, that is the surest sign you have a man-made religion, a false religion. If you can understand everything about this world with the explanation that your religion provides, then man has made up that religion. I think of the, the Muslim idea of heaven being where men go and receive 70 virgins Is there any more man-made idea than that? This is so ridiculous, so ridiculous. And so it's okay. It's okay to have things that we go, I don't understand. I don't don't know how that works. I I, I can't comprehend it. I can't get my head around it. You're not meant to get your head around it. You are, you are, invited to accept by faith what you cannot understand. So this reality of of the lake of fire, this place where God will send all, initially, 
the spiritual enemies of God, Satan, his angels, the, the beast, the prophet, death and Hades themselves will be cast into this lake of fire, but then eventually will be, will be filled with all of those who, the, the description here is, whose name was not found written in the book of life. And we know from scripture that this means those who have not been saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the difficulty, uh, I, listen, I had, to, I had to write in seminary, I had to write a paper on hell. I had to study the various views and the scriptures and all of that and come to my own convictions. That was the worst semester of seminary. There's nothing worse than contemplating hell. There's, it's terrible. It's not, it's not meant to be like a comfortable thought. <laughs> And so we have to be willing to say, I, there are things I can't understand, but additionally, we need to consider if, if the idea of hell seems repulsive to us, then I think there's at least a couple of things going on. One, we don't understand the nature and the magnitude of sin. We have reduced, and, and, and I, I don't even know how intentional it is, it's perhaps the best we can do, but we have reduced the, the idea of sin down to something that really isn't all that bad. I mean, be honest with yourself. We don't think sin is that bad, do we? Except for a few sins that we haven't committed. Most of us would think, yeah, hell is a great place for, and you can list some people that, have lived such a heinous life that you think they deserve to be there, but not regular people. And that should, should set off an alarm that we do not properly understand sin. We do not understand the magnitude of rejecting the offer of salvation that is brought about by an infinitely holy God offering up his son as a sacrifice in our place. We have made it a small thing to reject Jesus Christ as Savior. And there will be a day when our eyes will be opened and we will see the magnitude of even the smallest of sins. But today we have to take that by faith. Today we have to understand that we have made sin too small. That's why a couple weeks ago I wanted to preach that, that sermon. Someone said, I've never heard a, a pastor preach a whole sermon on how bad sin is. <laughs> and, and, and I thought, well, that's kind of a shame. We, should, we should, probably should do that more often, but it's important for us to take time and allow the word of God to form our thoughts about what sin is. Sin is far worse than we ever can imagine it to be. And on the other side of that, if we have if we have trouble, when we have trouble, we will. When we have trouble accepting the reality of hell, we must consider that we have made heaven far too small of a thing. We think, we think of heaven in way too small of terms. We think of heaven as a place that's a little bit better than this, this life. It's a little bit better because people don't get sick and die. It's a little bit better because we don't have financial hardship or something. It's a little bit better than this and it lasts longer. That's how we think of heaven. 
Heaven is God's invitation. The supreme God of all of creation, ruler of heaven and earth, the one by whom his word brought into existence everything that you and I know. The God who created galaxies out of nothing. Heaven is the invitation to come and to live in a relationship with him for eternity. In his glorious presence, full of unthinkable joys. Heaven is to have every wall between you and the God who created you torn down and to know him intimately and personally forever and ever. We think too, far too little of and we can't, I mean, how do you blame us? This is all we know. But when we have trouble accepting the reality of hell, I think it's worth remembering there are a couple of reasons. One, we've made sin too small and we've made heaven too small. But the more important thing here is not how well we grasp the reality of hell while we live in this life. The more important thing here is that we know how to escape it. <laughs> how do we avoid being counted in this vast number of people who will be thrown into the lake of fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, there's a verse, there's a passage that I wanna look at just briefly as we, as we come towards a close here on how we can be sure to survive this final battle, which really isn't a battle. <laughs> this is Jesus bringing judgment on the earth. There's a report in, in the book of 1 Thessalonians. This won't be on the screen. You'll just have to listen. If you wanna write down the reference, you could write down 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10 is where I'm gonna look. Don't even try to turn there though. Just listen as I read. This is, this is the report about the Thessalonian believers that Paul speaks of. He says, therefore, we do not need to say anything for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. How can we be sure that we are not among those who are on the receiving end of God's eternal judgment? We turn to God. That's what the Thessalonians did. They turned to God from serving idols. They turned, they, they turned from serving idols to God in order to serve him. And from there they waited, awaited the return of the king who rescues us from the coming wrath. Turn to God. Serve him. Escape the wrath. That's the gospel recipe for salvation. That we turn from, from there's only two paths in life. There's obedience to God and there's joining in the rebellion. We're all born into the rebellion, therefore we must turn from that rebellion to serve God. Turn to God, serve him, escape the wrath. Have you done that? Have you turned from this world of rebellion? 
cast yourself upon the mercy of Jesus, received the forgiveness of your sins, received new lordship, to follow the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and to one day escape the coming wrath. Why doesn't God destroy evil? The answer is, he will. Would you pray with me? Father, these things are even hard to think about. It's difficult to consider that one day this life will be over and we will enter into eternity. We will exist forever in one of two fates, a real heaven or a real hell. May we come to you today to receive your gracious and merciful offer of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, who lived the life we should have lived, who died the death that we should live, so that we should die so that we can live forever. May we come today, put down our sword of rebellion, bend our knee and bow before the King of Kings, confess him as Lord and Savior, and live. Live the life that you created us to live. Father, without overwhelming us, would you give us an awareness of the reality of eternity? An awareness that leads us to repentance, that leads us to daily faithful service, not out of fear, but out of joy of being rescued and out of love for fellow mankind. May we offer our lives into your service, considering this, the eventual fate of all mankind, to be on one side or the other of this mighty kingdom, led by the King of Kings, against whom no armies of the earth can even begin to stand. Humble our hearts Bring not only the conviction of sin, but the joy of salvation, as we have a great and mighty Savior. I thank you, Jesus, that you loved us enough to die on that cross in our place. That no man need be condemned. That your offer of salvation is available still today. May we take it, receive it with joy, and live our lives for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.